Hi, everyone. Welcome to the Shift Podcast, where we talk about transforming motion into progress in business. I'm Az, the Chief Marketing Officer for Merkel EMEA. And I'm Rich, Chief Strategy Officer for Merkel EMEA, and we'll be discussing our book called Shift that covers the areas that we've seen businesses struggling with that can hinder progress. Hi, everyone. Welcome back to our latest episode of the Shift Podcast. I'm joined today by Doug Jensen, SVP, Go-To-Market Analytics and Activation and Learning Center of Excellence from the Estee Lauder Companies. Welcome, Doug. Hello. Thank you so much. Glad to be here. No, thank you for joining us. We're excited to have you on. You've got a, a wealth of experience that I'm, I'm really looking forward to digging into. But just to get us started, do you mind telling us a little bit about yourself and your journey to ELC? Yeah, certainly. Thanks again for having me. So I consider myself a marketing analytics professional, but my journey is a bit odd and it actually goes back to what I studied in university. I was a statistic major and I was also a journalism major. And so my very first job in the industry was at the beginning of marketing mixed models, where I was essentially allowed to use statistical models to build models to understand the effectiveness of advertising and promotion effectiveness. And as you know, advertising is a form of journalism. So it was a really nice melding of the left and right brain. So I've been in the industry for about 30 years. I'm now at Estee Lauder Companies for the last nine years. And I have an interesting repertoire of things that I look after, including CRM engagement, activation and analytics. I'm in charge of our MarTech, meaning marketing technology, a suite of tools for employees. I look after competitive and marketing intelligence, which includes share reporting. I look after social listening analytics, which leverages machine learning and other technologies to measure what consumers are saying. And I'm passionate about marketing mixed modeling, which is my expertise. And I'm thinking we can spend a little bit of time in this podcast to talk about. And then finally, recently, I'm in charge of enterprise-wide marketing training. And as it relates to this conversation, we'll focus on CRM analytics and campaign management in the MarTech space. And I guess I would say my career journey has gone from being a, a geek or a nerd in the statistics area, and I'm okay with that language. I own it. I think it's a good thing to being a business consultant and now in the beauty industry, a beauty analytics expert. That's amazing. Thank you, Doug. I think, I think being a geek's a great thing so in I. today's world as well. Yeah, exactly. absolutely. I mean, you covered it with what you said about the left brain and the right brain coming together. So having that geekiness combined with that, you know, creativity and the business side really is starting to come together. I think in today's current world is so incredibly important. And just thinking about what you said about the work that you're doing, and you mentioned things like campaign management, CRM and analytics. Could you tell us a little bit about the work that you're doing for the ELC brands today? Yeah, I mean, in the CRM area, which is a really exploding area in terms of interest, especially at our company, let me step back and say, we spent a lot of time as a company collecting and harmonizing all of our first-party data. So we have first-party data systems, collecting data for our brick-and-mortar stores, as well as our online businesses. And we've got tens of millions of consumer transaction information to, to look at. What we really focus on and what I focus on in terms of the analytical area is harnessing that first party data, anonymizing it, and then looking at patterns in that data to understand what are the pathways for, let's say, new consumers 
who become loyal? What, what does that purchase journey look like? What is it that drives someone to come back and buy that second purchase? And how do you get consumers to that loyalty stage? And a lot of what we see is that it's largely a replenishment journey. And it's typically based on what we call hero products, which are the strongest products in our portfolio that may have the strongest innovation that are well-known in the industry. And we have many of them. We focus a lot on making sure that consumers know what our hero products are. So for us, what we see is that when a consumer comes in to buy one of our hero products on the journey to loyalty, they repeat that same hero product at least two or three more times. And then they might buy another product in the same category or subcategory when they become loyal. For us, loyalty is about four to five transactions. And so what part of my job is, is to highlight those journeys for our brand team so that they understand how to communicate appropriately with consumers. So for example, in the past, you might have a marketer who would show an email, let's say to a consumer where knowing that we've had that consumer purchase a hero product, then the next email would say, here's everything else that we have available to, to be purchased within the brand. And we had to actually course correct and say, actually, that's not the normal purchase journey. You need to focus on talking about that hero product and what are the benefits of that hero product and are you understanding the regimen and the way to use that hero product. So a lot of our analytical work has been in service of actually informing our campaign management systems, which I know we'll get to in this conversation. That's amazing. And it's, it's really nice to hear about how your business, which is traditionally seen as more of a brand organization, sort of stereotypically being so involved with the data components and really starting to understand customers in a better way and consumers in a better way. And it's really important today because we've seen this increase in direct-to-consumer, which becomes so prevalent, especially with what's happened over the last few years. I mean, I'd love to hear about what ELC thinks about you know, the direct-to-consumer business and how it starts to interplay with more traditional channels. I mean, has, has that strategy changed over the past couple of years since the pandemic? Or has the pandemic, you know, simply accelerated things that were already in motion? Yeah, that's a really good question. So SE Lauder Companies has had a long history of having brand.com sites since our chairman, William Lauder, created our online division more than 23 years ago. So when the pandemic hit, what we saw is that consumers were hungry for brands and going to brand sites. And we were very well poised to capture those consumers and their interest. And as you know, when you have your own site, you can spend time with harnessing the interest through different ways to do content marketing. So for example, if you've got a product that's in makeup, you want to show people how to apply the product. Or if you have a product that's in skincare, you want to have videos, let's say, that showcase how that skincare regimen should be reinforced. So we have always had a DTC business. We continue to have it. But what we saw was just a variety of consumers who were not necessarily knowing that we had DTC sites, exploring and discovering them. And then we had the wealth of lots of new consumers who came to our sites. And how do we retain them? And actually that became marching orders for me in particular to make sure that we had our first party data systems in play and that we had appropriate campaign management systems so that we could make sure that all those new consumers coming to our DTC sites were going through the lifecycle programs that you'd want them to go through. And so we spent a lot of time doing that. I also spent a lot of time in the pandemic training our brands to make sure that it was clear some of the earlier insights that I talked about, if the new consumers 
journey to loyalty is a replenishment journey. So how do we use our campaign management systems to take all the new consumers that came in to our sites during the pandemic and actually put that to life? So what's been fun for me is to take the theory of training and then put it into practice based on actual consumer behavior. And it's nice to see that they converge very nicely. Mm. And you mentioned consumer behavior a lot there, and obviously we've seen so many changes. And I just wanted to talk a little bit more about that, Doug, because it's it's such a fascinating area, especially for me. I love the the idea of the evolution and the constant change that we're seeing at the moment. But as the pandemic sort of took hold, did you notice any sort of generational differences that perhaps sort of came across your brands? And, and how did that come to life? Yeah, that's a... Interesting point. I think that historically before the pandemic, a lot of people would think that younger generations would be the ones coming to purchase beauty products in particular online because they may not have access to stores or they may not have access to the ability to purchase. So what we saw happening during the pandemic was obviously stores were closed in most of 2020 and early 2021. So the generational differences went away. Everyone needed beauty products and everyone from every generation came to our sites to purchase. So those behaviors, however, have have stuck. So we now still see consumers across all generations coming to our sites. And as I said, you know, when you when you set up a site, you you're doing it for everybody. You're not doing it for one particular generation. And what's great to see is that everyone checks out every part of of the site. And so when I think about the transformation of online purchasing, and as you probably have had others on your podcast talk about, the pandemic shifted or accelerated a lot of behaviors. So if we thought our DTC business was going to be X percent in five years, no, that happened in two years. And so that acceleration happened, but it also showed that behaviors are sticking. So people who became comfortable shopping online will continue to do that. And a related example for me in that area is in grocery purchasing. Before the pandemic, I never purchased grocery products online. But during the pandemic, I switched to 100% online. And today I'd say my purchasing is about 50-50. In the beauty industry, it's very similar. We do see lots of consumers staying with their their beauty purchasing online. That said, there's a a certain consumer who also craves the in-store experience. And so you have to make sure that you have everything available, no matter where the consumer wants to purchase you. You really have to have everything open. You have to have your brick and mortar stores with really good retail experiences. And then you have to have the same strong experiences online. I love that because I think the importance of knowing those different channels is a really big thing with brands because you see so often, just as a consumer, you can see that isolation in the way that you buy and it can be fragmented. And to your point around the behaviors and and how people are interacted, we know that even through the pandemic, that the behavioral shift with social media, for example, has been huge. YouTube went through the roof with the amount of viewing that was happening. I mean, if we just talk about that for a second, with that continued rise of, of social media and also social commerce, have these platforms become more important to ELC over the past few years? I mean, are, are there variations of how brands are leveraging you know, these sort of platforms around the world? Our brands have used social media and harnessed it for many years. Let me first start by saying how we in the beauty industry saw the rise of influencers within platforms like Facebook and and Instagram. So five years ago, you would see 
influencers showcasing full face beauty looks, full face makeup looks. And that actually drove a lot of purchase behavior within the makeup category. In the pandemic that shifted, people didn't go out as much. They didn't need to have full face makeup looks, but they really wanted to take care of their skin and their hair. So we saw a shift in basically usage in social media driving category shifts. But our brands are really getting into social commerce even more. And we have longstanding relationships with Instagram, WeChat, Snapchat, Pinterest, and others. I'd like to highlight TikTok in particular, since everyone knows that that's been the most interesting platform recently. And it's been true for us as well. Our brands in the last two years have really leaned in in a variety of ways. Of course, when a consumer loves your product on TikTok and that virality happens to you, you need to harness that. But there's ways that you can get in front of that. And we have a couple of our brands have been doing a lot of great things recently. So Estee Lauder brand launched on TikTok about a year ago with a night done right hashtag, which drove nearly 12 billion views and created almost 2 million videos. Its challenge used diverse creators to educate a younger audience on how important it is to take care of your skin at night. And the night idea comes from the brand's Advanced Night Repair, which is a hero serum that we have. Clinique is another brand that's seen and, and focused on TikTok tremendously. There were a lot of conversations happening about how to take care of acne. And for many younger consumers, they may not know that Clinique has been the mainstay brand that helps with all skin types, but in particular, if you had acne skin. And so Clinique launched a Zit Happens campaign on TikTok, and that became a viral sensation highlighting the brand's acne solutions and spurring the creation of nearly 700,000 videos on the app. And then I mentioned virality. So a lot of our brands have experienced creators who are discovering or rediscovering products that we have. So what was interesting for us, again, about, I want to say nine months ago, is Clinique also has a lipstick product that's called Black Honey Almost Lipstick. What was interesting about it is it's a product that was developed and launched in 1971, but it became viral again for a variety of reasons. One in which it was showcased in a movie. And so people understood that the actress in that movie was using the lipstick and then that kind of spurred on this resurgence. So what in general we find about TikTok is that you have to be ready when that virality happens. And try to make sure you have product in stock because when this happened to many of our brands, you run out of, of stock frequently. But it just shows that any earned media moment is one to celebrate and make your own. And I would say for anyone listening, making sure that you're having teams and younger people on your teams, really on TikTok every day, looking for those trends is key. I mentioned earlier that one of my areas of focus is in social listening. So I have a team of people who do just that. They use social listening tools and they look through the different platforms to figure out and highlight for our brand teams, what are those trends that we're seeing and how can we understand those moments of reality and, and harness them? Thanks, Doug. I love that you you pointed out the diversity in your teams there, which is so important. I completely agree because that diversity, I think, is is a real foundation to creative thinking. And that creative thinking, I think you've demonstrated really nicely here with those examples. I love the clinics, as it happens, example, just the, the phrase itself just catches me. I think it's brilliant. And then, you know, to get that from the insights that you mentioned about the way that people were changing their behavior just personally from that full makeup to skincare is, is so valuable. And seeing how you've been much more adaptive and creative in the way that you respond to that is brilliant. And it's, it's lovely to see 
organizations like yours, you know, really showing progress and demonstrating progress to transform in, in the way the consumers need them to when they need them to. So I just want to say thank you, Doug, for taking the time with us today, but also for your contribution to the book. The insights that you provided there were also equally as amazing as today. So thank you very much. Oh, my pleasure. And I really think that your book is going to do tremendous work to educate everyone who has jobs in analytics and jobs in, in this space. And I encourage everyone to read it. So uh, thank you so much. Thank you, Doug. Thank you to everyone for listening. Our book Shift is available now, so please check out the link in the description to order your copy today or find out more on our website, motionintoprogress.com. Stay tuned and we'll be back soon.